0: Good afternoon and thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation uh, Training Series. I'm Richard Restucia, Director of Water Management Solutions for Jane Irrigation and I'm really excited to be talking about Uh, the Farm Bill and the impact on agricultural production today. And and I'll tell you why, you know, and and we see that this Farm Bill comes through uh, every five years. Uh, People think or people know it it really sets the strategic direction for agriculture in the US. Uh, There's a lot of opportunity in the Farm Bill for uh, growers to take advantage of Uh, to make themselves uh, more profitable or maybe get some help. A lot of help for young farmers, uh, veteran farmers, a lot of help for technology. And uh, what's really important to me is the help for conservation as well. So this is all in this farm bill, but I think also lots of times people don't take the time to understand it. They don't fully uh, realize what's available to them. And I think oftentimes some of the advantages uh, go to waste so uh, today we're very lucky because we've got Michael Pippen who, um, for those of you who've seen Michael, you know, he does a great job on these presentations. He's the uh, Director of Business Development at Jane Irrigation. But, you know, in, in Michael's uh, prior life or previous life, uh, he's also worked for uh, dealers in, in farm country. You know, he grew up in uh, agriculture. Uh, he does a really good job with, uh, with growers and helping growers. It's just been a part of his life Uh, And part of his responsibility as a dealer was helping growers uh, access or secure uh, farm bill funding for what they wanted to do on their farm. So uh, that, and he's got experience through the Irrigation Association on this as well. So it's a great practical um, combination that you don't find too often. So uh, anyway, Michael, welcome. Uh, Thanks thanks for joining us today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate the introduction as always, Richard. Um, uh, we have had the opportunity to do a couple of these webinars and we always have a good time and, and hopefully learn something along the way. And and then today we're, we're going to try to tackle a pretty large subject, um, but really by you know, taking it, you know, a little piece at a time. Um, today, we're going to talk about the Farm Bill or, or what the piece of federal legislation that we refer to as the Farm Bill. We're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like today and then we're going to back up a little bit and kind of see how we got to where we're going to be, where, where we're at today and why you should be interested in this piece of legislation. Um, What we're going to try not to do is is really get into any kind of political flashpoints, which is a a little bit challenging when you're talking about any type of legislation to not get into the political debates, but we're going to kind of skirt the edge of it. We're really not going to... Uh, voice any kind of opinions on right or wrong or uh, how it should be done we're going to present it in a manner of what it is right where where it is right now and hopefully from that uh, we can kind of open up some dialogue um, about how this farm bill can be used as a tool no different than any of the other tools that you have access to as a producer or, or as an industry person like myself in the irrigation industry. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about two programs that you may have already been aware, heard of, or been aware of. I'm going to talk about the CRP program and the Equip program. So those little teaser about kind of where we're going to end and spend some detail. Um, and I hope at, at the very end of it, you know, we, we give you some practical ways that you can go about influencing this policy, you know, not only using it as a tool now, but influencing the policy um, going forward. Um, so, so
0: Love that part of it, Michael, because oftentimes uh, I I tend to uh, sit back, have opinions, but not really do my part in doing something about it. So I'm really excited <laughs> that uh, that that you're including that part, right? Because this is maybe the most important part is uh, how is we uh, as uh, people in ag uh, can impact this, and uh, especially because we're 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 the people, and I don't necessarily mean. You know, you and me, but everybody who's watching uh, are the ones who can benefit, who are impacted by this the most. So I'm I'm really anxious for that part.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. The consumption part of the legislation is just one piece of it, right? I mean, when you really start encompassing, you know, the giving back and giving opinion and and uh, being able to influence, that that's where you know that's really where where um, our government works at its finest right when the people are being able to voice that and make those changes that that they need right the legislation is for us right And i think that's a great point to bring out this point um because this this on the screen is is what the farm bill is today it is a big bill it is about uh 529 pages of legislation it is what we call an ominous bill that basically means there's a lot of stuff in it it is not narrowly focused. It is broadly focused, and there's an intentionality behind that. We'll get into that in a little while. Um, but all this information that I'm going to present to you today, um, I want to make sure we know where it comes from. Uh, most of this comes from the NRCS, USDA websites. You can find a lot of this information. There's a never-ending rabbit hole of information that you can read on this. But some of this data um, and some of the ideas that I'm presenting, a lot of it came from the C- Congressional Research Service, which is an interesting, um, an interesting um, organization. They are funded by Congress, and they, they actually call themselves con- the, the Congress's think tank, right? They, they create these research documents uh, nonpartisan, I guess is the best way to say it, to where they can kind of summarize these bills and legislation and give it to the Congress people so they can understand what the purpose is for these bills. Hmm. And then the other part of it is the um, uh, Congressional Budget Office, and they're the ones that kind of set these numbers. So there's a couple of groups that are nonpartisan that help Congress people decide you know, how much is this going to cost? What is its intention? What's it going to do? And that's where most of this information comes from. Um, But the, 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 the bill itself has 12 titles or sections or chapters, if you will. Um, Commodities is one of them, conservation, trade, nutrition, credit, rural development, research extension, forestry, and energy, horticulture, crop insurance, and miscellaneous. And, the total budget uh, as this was presented in 2018 was 429 billion dollars now the the technical name for this bill this farm bill will change everyone you know this is a actually this bill comes up every five years and sometimes the technical name changes slightly its current bill's name is the agriculture improvement act of 2018. it actually was voted into law at the end of 2018 kind of took action in in 2019. So we're currently in a 2018 farm bill that's active from 2019 to 2023. I couldn't imagine how we're confused on what's going on, right? Even the title is kind of hard to figure out where it's going on what's going on. But you can see here in the in the graph on the right where a majority of the money is allocated to. Now these four hundred and twenty-eight billion dollars just represent the mandated outlays. This is These are just the programs that have money set aside for them currently uh, or when the legislation was put into into vote. There are other um, uh, non-mandatory outlays or programs that don't have money appropriated to them. So the program has been authorized. Uh, the idea has been approved, but there's not a whole, there's really not any money for it. And so they have to kind of go get that money or get appropriated from different, different committees or whatever, however that process works but further into the bill. So this is just kind of the guaranteed amount that we're going to spend. And over three quarters of it is in the nutrition uh, title um, or category, if you will. And then you can see crop insurance, commodities, and conservation follow in a very distant second third, and fourth, and then other is all the other categories. So about 99% of the funding fall within those four primary categories or chapters, if you will, and we negotiate this as a Congress um, every five years. So we've got a couple more years to go on on this current farm bill. So how do we get to a four hundred and twenty eight billion dollar piece of legislation with all these big categories and, and, and kind of some confusing time frame. And really, we're going to move pretty quickly to this, because obviously you can um, there's a lot to unpack here. But it, this bill is almost 100 years old. It really started at the great after the Great Depression or during the Great Depression, uh, where commodity prices were very suppressed, very low. And really, the only way that our farmers could survive was to produce on more land. Uh, was to get more acres and plant more crops, which further increased supply, pushed down the price even further, and also was not that great for the environment. About this time in the 30s is when we had the Dust Bowl in the central part of the U.S., where we were just plowing up too many fields in, in reality. Um, at the time, I don't think we really understood all that, but now we we have a much better understanding of how production and the environment conservation have to move at the same pace. The 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 real theme of these farm bills you can see them moving down through the through the years here obviously the names are changing but we kind of call these at the time they wouldn't have called them farm bills but um the the point was really that we wanted to we understood at this point in time if you remember you know we got world War one world War two all these things world two hadn't happened yet but world War one the, the food crisis that they were having in europe and some of these areas we understood how important it was to secure our own food source and and without ruining everything else in the balance, right? And so at this point, this farm bill really was revolved around uh, paying farmers um, to not plant too many acres, right? So you had a hundred acre farm, the government may give you, um, ask to take 20% of it out of production, you farm the 80% and we'll subsidize you for the 20%. And some of that has gotten a a bad you know connotation over the years, but that's essentially the infancy of it. And um, also, they would buy uh, surplus commodities in the uh, high yielding years, right, to kind of balance out this market a little bit, so you didn't have huge years where the price plummeted, and then drought years where there was no production, the price went up, but nobody had anything to sell. Try to manage out this this um, the market to where it was a little more consistent. And, and there was some varying degrees of success in there, it didn't always work like we wanted to. No legislation is perfect, but that's really the infancy of the program. The really next big jumping off point, I would say, would be in the 1960s and 70s when uh, the Food Stamp Act of 1964 came into play. Um, and this was, again, a, a, a piece of legislation that was put forward to allow access to what is worldwide known currently as the, the lowest cost food um, production country in the, in the world. Really, our food uh, is, is inexpensive, right? And we need to have everybody should have access to that, especially impoverished peoples and rural and urban. And this Food Stamp Act was aimed at that out of allowing um, impoverished families to have access to our low cost foods this is when it all starts rolling into this ominous, ominous bill where you've got kind of this big nutrition piece, which is what we call SNAP now, the SNAP program, food stamp program. Nutrition piece is majority of that program. And then the other farming pieces go along with it, right? This is where in the conservation piece is where the EQIP program fits, is where the CRP program they're going to talk about. That's where all that fits in there. And so you may ask the question, and I think this is one of the, this is where we'll skirt the political, you know, the political flashing point is why in the world would you do that? And and really, there's there's a lot of reasons why, and I, I don't know, um, you know, I don't know how to properly explain them all. But one big reason was that we needed we as a rural citizen of the farm, uh, we needed broader support on this bill if we were really going to do the conservation and the production programs that we wanted to do. If you think about just where the amount of people live and where the number of representatives in Congress live. You know, we don't have the population, so we don't have as many of, you know, as much representation, just literally not as many people. So by bringing in the nutrition piece, which was at the time perceived as a very urban type of a program, that's not necessarily true, but at at the time it was perceived that way, now we had a nationwide bill where rural and urban had some skin in the game. And at the idealistic level, it also gave us at a rural um, constituency a, 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 a way to show, hey, the, the box of cereal you're buying for a couple of bucks, the only way that I can make that cereal for you in a, in a, a sustainable and profitable way, because i got to have sustainability in, in the environment and i got to make some money is we need this part of the program as well, right? We need part of it. And then the urban part uh, need that for the food stamp side. Now, again, that's a little, again, skirting the political side of that, you know, that food stamps are not just for urban people, right? That's not, uh, that's not the, the, the case at all. Um, but it did give us a chance, I think, at the, at the rural level to explain and make that connection between this is where your food comes from. And you see a lot of that in, in our policies today, it's foreign for 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 me who grew up on a farm to not understand where our food comes from. but if you never were on a farm and you lived in a large city your whole life, that's not I mean no different. I have no idea how the subway works right and so uh, and they would think that's that's silly and so it's 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 not um, uncommon for us to say you know this is how how where our food comes from is required to do it at a reasonable cost. So those things combined is really what was a catalyst to bring catalyst to bring these these two what seem kind of foreign uh, ideals together. That's probably enough or too much on the history right there of that, but yeah. I think that's important to understand how we got to to the size bill that we're in.
0: Yeah, so I'm wondering Michael how does uh, how and when does irrigation come into this?
1: Right. And and this is kind of where we're at now is that really in the 1980s is really where the first program I want to talk a little bit about hit hit um and 1985, the CRP program came into effect. And CRP program is a conservation research program. So this this slide here is really our kind of our, after the 70s, this is really what, what what the kind of the modern age of the farm bill looks like. And in 1996, in the irrigation industry, I think the EQIP program will be the one that we're most familiar with. So those are relatively new programs within the conservation portion that uh that we're going to see and then of course now we're into 2018 at the bottom there and we will have another farm bill debate starting pretty soon actually Um, so um to revisit the funding very quickly um you can see the nutritions at the top um with a vast majority of the expenditures if you if you look kind of the second level there with selected agriculture titles the Farm commodities is, is, is really a, um, you know, kind of a farm payout type of a, a program. That's pretty hotly, de- you know, debated. The, the crop insurance has been pretty steady in their funding for the last three farm bills. And that's been a pretty popular program. And pro- I think a lot of people would actually like to see crop insurance, the protection of crops, expanded beyond some of the commodities. And so that's been a, that's been a, a, um, a, a really nice uh, program that I think a lot of people would like to be uh, expanded. And you'll see, kind of here, uh, this conservation piece has stayed pretty, um, pretty even at at eight, six, seven percent over the last three farm bills, and that's that's what we're going to talk about, uh, talk about today, is two programs within that farm bill and how they're used on the farm and how you might can use them. Um, The the first program that I want to talk about is the CRP program, the conservation reserve program. The Conservation Reserve Program um, is one of the, the larger um, uh, programs within the conservation piece. And I want to make sure I get these, I think this is important to make sure I get this kind of directly out of the bill. So I'm going to read this really, a Title two description, is the, uh, which is the conservation title. It says, assistance to ag producers by addressing environmental resource concerns in private land through land retirement, conservation easement, working land assistance, and partnership opportunities. So these conservation programs are not just designed to conserve our natural resources. They are designed to work within the farm to make it a sustainable, profitable piece of uh, a farming operation. So the CRP falls within this uh land retirement program and if you'll notice this this is a this is our farm in louisiana mississippi river levee is is on the right side of the page the mississippi river is about a mile to the east of this if you see these large trees here this was the original um property line for this farm and it kind of meanders through here because that's an old bayou that still drains the property and these are old uh virgin timber that's never been cut but you can see these smaller trees kind of in this little divot right here in this area and the, and the bottom right. And even this little area in the corner, we used to farm that, believe it or not. These are little corners. Both these fields are our fields. And as um, uh, mechanization got, got larger, equipment got larger, we got faster planting windows, planting windows got tighter. This is profitable land to grow crops on. But it's not very efficient, right? I mean, all you do in this divot right here is turn around and turn rows and, you know, you're getting weed encroachment from the, from the trees and you're hitting your equipment on the tree limbs and all this kind of stuff, right? It's just not efficient to grow. And so in the early 2000s, we applied for the CRP program in which we would make an application. There's all these checklists and depending on how many checks you get in there, it prioritizes um, your funding. We were paid through the Equip program, which is part of Title II in the Farm Bill, to plant trees and to bring this productive land out of production and, encourage, and, and introduce it back into the natural state. We planted uh, native hardwoods through here. They paid for the trees. They paid for the planting of them. And in turn, we signed a contract to keep it out of production for 20 years. The CRP programs are very different. These was one of the earlier ones, which probably was a little bit more profitable and gave us a little bit more flexibility. Some of the later ones were a little bit narrower. But what's really interesting on this property is that, yes, we could have potentially have made more by growing soybeans or corn or cotton on this land. But the payments were such that it was a guaranteed income. It was land that was hard to farm. It wasn't necessarily unprofitable to farm, but it was inefficient. Um, And as this program started maturing, we were able to actually re-sign another, we're about to re-sign another uh, CRP program uh, initiative where we're going into these trees that are now 20, 25, approaching 25 years old, and we're going to go thin them, not cut them down and take them out of, put it back and plant soybeans again. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to come in, we're going to take another government program subsidy. We're going to cut the trees down in the middle, thin it out, allow the undergrowth and really start returning this back to its natural state or as close as that we can come. And so uh, we've done this in several pieces of property that we have. Um, we've done it in a large area that wasn't that profitable to grow. So we've done quite a bit of this uh, returning um, some of this land back to his natural habitat on our farm. And it's been very successful for us.
0: So, Michael, we've got a couple of questions now. Um, this is very interesting. So one thing that uh, struck one of our viewers was, uh, you know, the wording in that title too is very broad, right? It allows for partnership. Is this really an opportunity for growers to say, I think I I know of a way here where I can add to conservation and, and they make the application accordingly?
1: Yeah, there's a lot that's underneath these programs. Um, I'm not as familiar with the area that talks about partnership opportunities. I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that. I've not seen a program specifically for that, Um, but I have seen, you know, um, resource concerns. Uh, So like one of them um, uh, with groundwater that we even see in our farm here was, you know, pulling water from certain aquifers when we have shallow um, kind of, I don't know if you want to call it, not aquifer water, right? We have shallow water, because of the river, how close it is, and, and changing over some of those uh, wells from either a bed re- like cattle, uh, change, changing those wells over from uh, either a municipal, which is treated water, you know, that would be for, for us drinking or pulling out of a deep well into an alternative water source. So I've seen a little bit of that. I don't know exactly what the partnership opportunity would look like. Just, I'm not familiar with that piece of it.
0: Yeah. And then um, Michael, how hard is it to apply for these programs? I mean, is it a is it a one pager, is it a 10 pager, is it essay, fill it out? What, what's that look like? Um,
1: it can be pretty intense depending on the type of program. These these type of programs like the CRP are relatively straightforward. It's gonna be um uh, because you're not really designing much, um, there's not really a system in place. When we look at the equip, I'll t- talk a little bit more in detail on that. Th- that's going to be more complicated in a lot of ways. There's also a lot more money involved there. Uh, but in this CRP, is pretty straightforward. If you it, where you move up the priority list to get the funding, is kind of what it looked like in a natural state. You know, if we were to move over to an area that did not have a wetland, like if this bayou wasn't running through it, then we would have been a lower priority if it was naturally not covered with hardwoods at some point. But this property here was at one time covered with hardwood trees from one end to the other. And so uh, that raised our priority because we could return it to a natural state relatively easy and had kind of, you know, some areas to, to piggyback off of, if you will. Some other, it wasn't just one, five acres out in the middle of a desert, right? It was part of a larger, a larger program.
0: Yeah, and then um, are there people um, from the government that are out looking for opportunities for growers, or is this something the grower just determines that it would be a good opportunity and, and they uh, enact
1: it? I would say both. Uh, I would encourage you to be proactive. We'll we'll speak a little bit to this and in, and in, uh, in, uh, uh, in, at the at, at the end, you know, what I, what I say take away and what to do with it. I would encourage you to be proactive um, because. They uh, the money comes from the federal government. It's sent down to the state level and then it's sitting down to the regional level and the states and the regions could and most likely do have priorities where they're focusing their efforts. It's simply what is that? What it is hard to tackle every problem at one time unless you just have a completely blank check and they do not have a completely blank check. They have funding limitations. So, um, what you're looking for may not be a high priority, and so they may not be actively going out and looking for people to enlist. However, that doesn't mean they can't fund anything that they want to fund. So if you have a project that's outside the priority list, probably going to take you a little bit more, um, a little bit more effort to find somebody that has the expertise to execute the program and to get the support to do it. But oftentimes, that can happen towards the end of the bill, right? So they were, they have a priority, number one, and they fund all that. Then they go two, three. And by the time they get to the end of the farm bill, they used up their highest priority. They go, oh, hey, I have some money left. Then they might start broadening their applications and trying to find things to, to use that, that allocated money.
0: Yeah, interesting. And then we have one comment from our friend, uh, John Farner at the Irrigation Association. And uh, he, he mentions that the Equip program encourages partnerships between the grower, the NRCS, and conservation organizations. So uh, thanks, John, for that comment, uh, that very very much helps.
1: Yeah, it does, thanks, John, for the comment about uh, the partnership opportunities and what they would like to look, what they look like. And I think most of us in the irrigation industry would be most familiar with the EQIP program, the Environmental Quality Initiative programs. Um, and And primarily for me, uh, where I've seen this program used the most is in the Central Plains, installing subsurface drip irrigation systems. I will take a step back from that and say, what What is this program? What is this equip funding? What is it designed to do? In a very broad sense, what we're trying to do, or what the, what the bill is trying to do, is uh, send funding to the farm level to add efficiencies um, to preserve our natural resources without sacrificing um, the profitability of the farm, right? I think that is about as simple as I think I can state it. And there's a lot of, prog- a lot of things within this equip program that can get funded. And we alluded to some of that already that in, in, in this central plains area of, of uh, Texas and Oklahoma and some of the corn ground up in Kansas and Nebraska, uh, their number one priority is protecting their groundwater. Uh, that is number one priority one. And so most of the equip funding goes towards that. And what could that look like in a farming operation? Uh, a lot of times it looks like uh, the retrofit of an old irrigation system to something that's much more efficient. Now that could be a center pivot being converted to subsurface drip. It could be a center pivot that changes nozzles out to something that doesn't use near as much energy or even less water. Um, It could look like a a standard off-on on on your pump changed over to a variable speed drive so it matches the the engine energy requirement, matches exactly what the system needs and doesn't have to draw too much energy. It could look like an old diesel pump from 30 years ago or diesel engine driving a pump, converting that to... Uh, an electric motor, something like, I mean, there's a lot of things that go in here, weather stations, soil moisture monitoring systems that allow you to accurately apply the right amount of water without overwatering, all these things, and, and many, many more fall under this equip program. And as a, as a drip irrigation manufacturer, we work very closely in the Central Plains, High Plains area, helping our dealers uh, design uh, low volume subsurface drip irrigation systems, low energy Uh, To help uh, help conserve these natural resources. The equip program helps cost share of a majority of the systems that we're working on, because it is a large initial expense. Um, But we've seen the the data on how we can preserve uh, the water, uh, the groundwater, and we've also seen the data that proves that we can maintain yields and profitability. Um, And so this has been a very, very successful program uh, for the central part of the United States. And, um, and 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 hopefully over time, we're going to see uh, the environmental piece continue to follow along with it, where we're really conserving and managing our groundwater resources, um, which obviously, again, kind of what we alluded to originally, these things have to move together. If They don't move together. We can grow all the cotton in the world in the next three years. But if we run out of water, that's pointless. The same side is we have to keep production and profitability up. Um, so that we don't, you, you don't just turn on a cotton farm tomorrow. you've never farmed, we cannot lose that knowledge and that experience base that we have. So these things have to move together and the Equip program has allowed that to happen. Um, I will say that it, it, it broadens past that. You know, it could, it could go into a, a um, I've seen um, Equip funding cost share uh, high tunnels uh, for uh, small producers and in, 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 um, low income areas. Um, I've seen it give out, um, monies to uh, minorities and impoverished areas to help them, um, you know, improve um, all, all kinds of things in the farm and, and add value and profitability to those farms. A lot of off-season things, high tunnels, pump uh, rebuilds, uh, try to lower their cost and extend their growing season. So there's a lot to unpack within this equip program. But I think this, this probably program here probably has the most direct impact on our irrigation industry of, of any other, other programs within the bill.
0: Can, can, I, uh, can I apply year-round? Is there a certain time that I apply before the season starts? How, how's all that work?
1: Yeah, it, it can get a little complicated. And um, there is a certain time. You can basically apply any time. But in a normal year, which I don't know that we've had a normal year in a while, uh, but in a normal year, uh, there's a deadline to, um, to apply that's traditionally kind of in the late spring. You get your application in. And once you get your application in, they, they prioritize them. And then you get your funding later on in the fall to where that you could start your, you know, in, in, in most markets where you could start your construction on your project in the winter and spring before the planting season. That, that's the ideal situation. That did not happen at all last year. Um, it was kind of a mess. And it can be, right? This is, a, this is a piece of legislation that's not always clean. You have to kind of roll with the punches. You do have to be very patient. Um, the process in some areas is pretty well oiled. They've done it a lot. But if you're going for a program that is not super common, I would I would say prepare to do a little bit of homework on your own. Um, but really, the I'd say the jumping off point, Richard, of where where to get started. And, and if you say, "Hey, this looks great," like I would encourage you, you as a producer or as an industry professional uh, to reach out to your industry legislative representative, like John Farner here that, that that made our comment earlier. Like, if I have a question about the farm bill, like I'm calling him first because. He he may not know how the, every little application or, or every place prioritizes, but he is going to know um, what type of programs are being supported by your industry, right? He's going to be aware of this equip program and the type of projects that they have funded, right? So you know he could he they, those people those industry representatives can kind of get you in the right direction to say, hey, this is happening out there, or this is not happening. That is not part of this type of a bill, and they can help direct you that way to kind of get your, you know, uh, th- is this something that may may work for me? And and then would also encourage you to reach out and tell your story to your Congress representative. Um, they, they like to hear stories. They want to understand what your roadblocks are, what your struggles are, uh, what you need assistance in. Therefore, when they see these bills or these opportunities to come around, they they, they can have a you know, they can tie a story to a piece of legislation and they can um, they can voice those concerns or they can dig deeper into them and, and provide some, you know, provide some input um, uh, on the legislation itself when it when it when it comes up to vote or debate. Um, and then I'd also encourage you you know to go down to your local NRCS USDA office. Uh, You NRCS does the equip allocation. I think um, I I think they're the the office that you would really want to go to for the equip funding and uh, and CRP program specifically, Um, but they'll be able to help you with the prioritization right I think that's important to, to recognize that you know if you're what type of programs they're prioritizing and I would encourage you as a producer. To follow kind of the priorities, just because it's not your program, but they're trying to fund a drainage project and you're really looking for an irrigation project, don't snub your nose at that drainage project, right? See if that fits. These, these, these programs, um, we as taxpayers pay for them, and they're for the farmers to secure our food source. We need those resources allocated properly, and the farmer is really the one that's going to be most appropriate, the grower, to know how those funds are going to work best for him no different than an infrastructure bill that, a bill that builds roads or, you know, a, a, um, a defense bill that, that protects us with our military. This bill is drafted and funded to support our producers. Our producers need to tell us how to spend that money appropriately. They're the ones that are going to know how to do it. It's for you. So don't, um, don't get kind of caught in this. That's not what I'm really wanting to do right now. Look at where the priorities are. Let's hope that those priorities align with what you want to do. But if not, think through that process and say, okay, well, maybe what they're trying to fund right now, what they're trying to do priority, maybe I do have a place for that on my farm. And what would that look like? So I'd encourage, that's kind of the three steps that I'd say to take to kind of, you know, what, what you can do with take away with some of this information.
0: I think that's a great, great advice, right? These are the people you should develop really strong relationships with, right? This is, uh, they're, they're only going to help.
1: That's right. That's right. And so, I, you know, that, that's really kind of concludes what I wanted to, to visit about today. Richard, I mean, my contact information is there. I'm by no means an expert on all the intricacies of the Farm Bill, um, but I have been around it quite a bit. I, I, I do know quite a few resources or people that I could point you towards if you have any questions. So, you know, definitely reach out to me or somebody if you want to reach out to Richard, we can get that contact information to you. We'll try to answer any questions we can, and at the very least, put you in touch with somebody that, that may can answer it for you
0: yeah Michael, uh, thanks so much. That was really interesting, very informative. and uh, I know uh, that you really planted quite a few seeds today. Uh, uh, we had a We had a quite a good audience today. and and I can tell when these uh, subjects are going to be popular, you know, when we do the invitations and we get a lot of people right from the start, and we definitely saw that today. Uh, and so I know people are interested. I know they left here today or will leave here today with good ideas of what to do going forward. So uh, thank you for that help with that. I really appreciate it. And to, uh, to all the viewers out there today, thank you very much. We really appreciate you taking time to uh, visit with us and, uh, and have this conversation. So we appreciate that. And uh, next week, uh, we're gonna be talking about smart controllers on Wednesday. And then on Friday, you know, this year's uh, uh, World Ag Conference is gonna be virtual. So I've got a couple of people from uh, World Ag that are going to be on next Friday talking about the virtual conference and more importantly, explaining how you can take advantage of all there is uh, that's, that's going to be offered. So good week next week. Uh, thanks again, Michael. Great job today. And uh, we will see you all later. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you, Richard.